Thank you, team. Go ahead and be seated if you would. If you've got your handout with you this morning, there's an insert inside it that has a white uh, page just really focused on today's scripture, on today's um, topic, you know, talking about Jesus on Thanksgiving. That's a good idea. You know, we talk about turkey, having turkey on Thanksgiving or ham on Thanksgiving, but today we're talking about Jesus on Thanksgiving and answering that question of what did Jesus do? In fact, two things we're going to talk about. What did Jesus value in thanks, thankfulness and what did he model in thankfulness? If you've got your handout with you, jot these two things down. First of all, let's see. Jesus valued thanksgiving. Let's go... There we go. Jesus valued Thanksgiving. And the first thing I want you to think about is that Thanksgiving, he valued it because it brings glory to the Father. It brings glory to God. You know, the whole purpose of Jesus' ministry, according to his prayer in John 17, he said, I've come and you gave me your leadership to bring glory to you. That was his whole purpose in life. And so as he looked for a thankful hearts in people and as he valued thankfulness, the reason he did that was because it brings glory to God. And that was the entire purpose of his life. That's what he was here, placed here on earth, what he was placed here on earth to do. You know, when we study the effects of thankfulness, there's actual scientific studies that talk about the physiological, the psychological, the emotional, and of course the relational benefits of thanksgiving, of giving thanks, of being thankful. But Jesus' focus was not on those four things, the physiological, psychological, emotional, or relational aspects of thanksgiving. His focus was the spiritual focus of thanksgiving. All those other things are true. If you're a thankful person, the, the, the uh, scientific study says you will actually live 2.5 years longer if you learn the habit of thankfulness. Well, that's a, that's a motivation, huh? You want to live longer? <laughs> Develop a thankful heart. But that's not Jesus's focus. It wasn't living longer. <laughs> the, the, the joy quotient in your life is going to extend if you have a thankful heart. That wasn't Jesus's primary reason his primary focus was it gives glory to God. A God word focus. Because all those other things, living longer, having more joy in your life, having better relationships in your life, all that's going to be a side benefit of giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. Now I want to dive into, just real quickly, a story about Jesus and one of his healings. It's really 10 of his healings in one, okay? So he heals 10 people at one time. This is, is a story that just really stands on its own. <laughs> it stands on its own, but we want to use it to learn some things about why Jesus would value thankfulness. Does that sound good? Luke chapter 17, if you've got a, a Bible with you, you want to turn to that, or if you want to look inside your handout, it's included there. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, well, let's just pause there for a minute. What happened in Jerusalem? That's where Jesus 
would give his life on the cross as a sacrifice for people. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he gets interrupted. Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. We probably ought to stop just for a minute. Leprosy isn't nearly the disastrous disease today as it was in biblical times. In biblical times, it was almost a certain death sentence. And there's some cultures in the world where, it's, where it is still, in India and various places, where it's still a, a, a near-death sentence for people. In their world and in their day, it was almost an immediate death sentence. It wouldn't take long before the leprosy disease would take a life. How leprosy worked for the most part, there were various things they actually called leprosy, but how it worked for the most part was your nerves, your pain sensors failed. The pain stopped. Now, some of us go, could I get that? You know, <laughs> I wouldn't have to take painkillers, right? But do you know that pain is a gift from God? And without pain, you really hurt yourselves. What happens so often in, in people with leprosy is they would, um, they would touch a red-hot coal. And where normally there's pain, and you would wince back and go, whoa. They had no such reaction. And so they would get deep-seated infections because there was nothing to stop a cut. or You would have no pain to feel the normal things you and I feel. And so injury was rampant. And disease took place partly because of this lack of pain. I don't know if you want to pause just for a minute. And some of us should thank God for the gift of pain. You know, literally, when there is no pain, it's a disease. Now, I know pain gets out of control. And, and one of the things in heaven, no more sorrow, no more, no more suffering. <laughs> you know? So there is a time we look forward to where the physiological pain is no longer there, but neither is the hot coals to burn yourself with, right? Okay? But as this, uh, this story unfolds, this leprosy, what hap to, had to happen, according to Levitical uh, revelation, people who had leprosy had to stand at a distance. They had to be quarantined. They could not be in normal society, and they had to be at a distance and shout a warning to all undiseased people unclean unclean and people would stay away from anyone so it was it was a, a a sociological isolation that was taking place these guys came notice it was 10 of them i'm amazed by things like this because here they are they're supposed to be in isolation and even in isolation with a deadly uh, a terminal uh, disease they bond together as a small group. Now, you know my encouragement to everybody in the body about being in a small group. Even these guys knew the power of a small group, okay? And maybe it wasn't going to be a long one because they were all going to pass away shortly, but even in hospice, so to speak, they wanted to have community together. And maybe, just maybe, the 10 of them had a louder voice together than any one of them could have had individually. Are you catching me here? So in other words, maybe one or two or one or another could have shouted out, but instead, 
a voice, a chorus, a community of believers who was trusting God together saying, Lord, Master, Jesus, have pity on us. <laughs> They're shouting this in unison. Now, I just want to say to you, don't try to do life alone. Whether you've got leprosy or you've just got sin in your life, whether you've just got normal life, don't do life alone. Do life together. Well, they, they stood at a distance, called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Notice what it says. When he saw them, circle them. I like that. When he saw them, not just an individual, but the collective whole, he said, go show yourselves, again, plural, <laughs> to the priest. Now, why would he say go show yourself to the priest? Go see the preacher. What's up with that? Well, back then, through biblical revelation, the priests, the Levites, they were in charge not only of preaching God's word and dealing with the temple, but they were actually in charge of declaring people healed or not. When a healing took place, when answers to prayer took place and someone said, I'm healed, I'm healed, they didn't just take their word for it. They actually had a reference point where the priests would declare them to be cleansed, healed, or not. So he says, go show yourself to the priest. Notice what Jesus did not say. He didn't say, you're healed. Did he? Very interesting. Instead of declaring them healed, he actually gave them a task. Go show yourself to the priests. Jesus loved to have people put their faith into action. You know, faith isn't just something that resides inside and you go, well, I believe in God. What he calls on you to do is live out your faith in God. In this case, live out your faith in a healing by going and visiting the priest. And they're probably looking down at their, at their diseased hands and feet and ears and eyes and going, I'm not healed yet. Why would I go to the priest now? You know, it wasn't a once you're healed, go to the priest. It was go to the priest and as they went. Did you catch that? Are, are you picking up on that? As they went, they were cleansed. Oh, I love it when God does that. I love it when he allows us to put our faith into action. And then as we're taking the action, the results of the faith become evident. You remember the, uh, the, the, the um, Old Testament children of Israel were going to go into the promised land? And there was a big river. The Jordan River was standing in front of them. And the priests were to go across the river. And they're like, how do we get across the river? How do we get across the river? God, I'm going to dry it up. I'm going to dry it up. But it says it was when the priests... Feet. It says, when the sole of their feet touched the water, the river dried up. Same exact principle. Same exact principle. How close do your feet have to get for the sole of your feet to touch the water? You're pretty darn close, right? How much are you trusting God's power as you step into it? Are you following me? You're stepping into it. That's what they're called on here. As they went on their way, this miraculous, cleansing, powerful miracle took place. Now, if they had said, I ain't moving until you do a miracle for me. I'm staying right here. No, they trusted the master, Jesus' master. That's another word for Lord. 
Jesus, Lord, Master, have pity on us. They said, you're the Lord, you're the Master, I'm going to do what you called me to do. I'm going to put my faith into action. <laughs> well, some of us could learn some good lessons from God. You know, I think about our, our finances sometimes. We say, well, God, if you would just bless me a certain way, then I would. You know, if, if I could tell you how many times people said, Pastor Bruce, if I ever win the lottery, we're going to buy this property, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It's always the if God, if God, if God. He says, no, trust me with the first fruits. Put the sole of your feet into the water. <laughs> As you are going, you'll be cleansed, you'll be whole, you'll be healed. In financial terms, you'll be provided for. He says, trust me and see if I won't pour out, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great you won't be able to receive it. Don't wait for God. He's waiting on you. In relationships, a lot of times we're like, I know you said this, God. I know you said only bond together in business and in, in marriage with believers. But Lord, this gal is so gorgeous. But God, I really want this. I, I know I should trust you, but once I do this, you'll bless it, right, Lord? He says, do what he said. Do what he, on your way in the process, he promises. That's where the miracles take place. Don't wait to trust him. Trust him and move on it. Trust him. Some of you need to hear this message for the church. You know, the church family. I've heard people say, once I find the perfect church, I'm going to get involved there. Well, what happens? As soon as you get involved in a perfect church, if you're imperfect, what happens to that perfect church, right? <laughs> There's no such thing, right? You know? Move into it and let God use you in the process. Let God develop you. So the blue part here, oh, this is the best. One of them, 10 guys healed, one of them, 10%. That's probably a pretty common ratio. 10% who actually have thankfulness. When he saw he was healed. So he's walking along to the priest, and as he's going, the healing takes place. He looks down. He doesn't even get to the priest to be declared clean. He runs back, praising God in a loud voice. Now, earlier we saw the ten of them shouting, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. In this case, he's running back saying, Hallelujah, praise God. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. He's so excited because the death sentence that was on his head is now removed. His terminal illness is now gone. He has the opportunity to live among his family and friends and loved ones. He can now worship God like he wants to. He isn't no longer needing to be isolated, shouting from a distance, unclean, unclean. And he runs back. He comes back praising God. In fact, that's where that links right there. Glory to God, praising God in a loud voice. See, Jesus valued thankfulness because it's giving glory to God, which is the place where all glory should reside. The glory should not reside in ourselves. It should not reside in a doctor. It shouldn't reside in our society or our culture. It's made for one place and one place only, praising 
God. And he praises God in a loud voice. Jot this one down. Thankfulness not only brings glory to God, thankfulness brings God to you. It brings God to earth. You know, God touches down. It says God resides in the praises of his people. You know, when we praise God, when we honor him, when we voice our glorification of God, God's resident. He's available. He's here in a different way. Where two or more gathered, there am I where? In the midst of you. Notice this guy. It says he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and underline this, and thanked him. He thanked him. And the last line, and he was a Samaritan. Uh, Jesus is pointing that out because in their culture, he's breaking the mold. <laughs> in their culture, the Samaritan people, they were the ones that were the half-breeds. They were the ones that were the downcast. They were the ones that nobody else accepted. They were the outsiders. And yet God is using this hated person in their midst to say, he's the model He's the example, kind of like he did the good Samaritan where the, the Levite went on one side and the priest went on the other side, but it was the Samaritan who actually cared for the guy who was beaten. He was the hero of the story. Same thing right here. The hero of the healing is the Samaritan leper. And he's pointing out this man who probably thought he had no opportunity for closeness with the Father, closeness with God, closeness with Jesus. He actually comes down and throws himself Catch that emotion of that? Catch the emotion of that? He threw himself down at Jesus' feet. I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just bow yourself with all uh, reaction and emotion? Say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You just put a new lease on my life. God enters this situation with that. Remember when Thomas was shown the hands of Jesus and he said, I'm not going to believe until I place my fingers in the nail prints in his hand and I place my hand in the spear mark in his side. I'm not going to believe that he's the resurrected Christ. And Christ presented himself to Thomas. He says, go ahead, Thomas. You really want to do this? And it says the same. He threw himself down at Jesus' feet. And the Bible says there for Thomas, he worshiped him. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you, the resurrected God-man, Jesus, he bowed down, threw himself at Jesus' feet and worshipped him. In this case, thanked him and, and drew. See, it, it brings God to you. It brings God to the situation. Let's talk about one more. And, uh, well, this is from Romans connection with giving thanks is real evident in Romans chapter 1 verse 21 and following here's what it says for although they knew God there's a sense in which every person on the planet can't help but go there's got to be something more it says they neither glorified him as God nor what nor gave thanks Every person on the planet may not have had the opportunity to hear about the love of Jesus, but every person living on our planet can't help 
but look around and go, I've got to give thanks to someone. What am I going to do, bow at the Thanksgiving table and thank the turkey for giving his life? No, when you give thanks, you give thanks to the provider, the one who's given so much, in this case, <laughs> the obvious God who created the world. They neither um, gave thanks, glorified him, nor gave thanks, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings. Idols, statues, birds and animals and reptiles. It's like they, they, they whacked out, thinking I'm going to bow down to a reptile image. It's like, wouldn't you want to bow down to the creator of the reptile? Doesn't that make more sense? That's the point. People, we've got to learn. Giving thanks is God's biggest plan for all of us across the planet. Because it not only brings glory to God, it brings God to us. We have a sense in which we're responsible for God being in our lives. Last one, jot this down. It gives us a chance to be positioned to receive more. Notice what happened with this uh, leper. Jesus looks at him, he goes, well, wait a minute. We're not all 10 men cleansed? Weren't all 10 of you healed? He's like, where are the other nine? Is this truly the case that nine people go on their way and just go off doing their own thing and only one comes back to give thanks? See, Jesus was trying to show us, even today, that there's a value in giving thanks. There's a value in a heart that doesn't just live their life out saying, I'm entitled, I'm entitled, I got it, I, I deserve it, but rather says, I didn't deserve this at all. Thank you, God. Come back to give him. No one has returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. Now notice this. Then he said, then he said, rise up and go. Rise up. Get up and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, you say, well, well wasn't that the case for the others? <laughs> different word here. There's three different words here. Let me just explain it to you. In the first case, the healing, the word for healing, would be where the symptoms are taken away, where there is no evident presentation of the disease. That would be called, we would call it today, temporary healing. Okay? They're healed for the moment. One of our words would come down to like in remission. They're in remission. The disease is not advancing. It's in remission and, and maybe we'd even be declared cancer-free. Any of you know anybody that's been in remission or declared cancer-free? It's that idea. The word cleansed, used there, we're not all ten cleansed. That's the word cathar. Like we get the word cathartic healing or we get the word catheter from that. Winona, you know what a catheter would use. Like if someone uses an uh, angioplasty catheter and they put in a stint, you know, for a heart blockage. It's removing the blockage. It's cleansing the imperfection or the healing. That's the word that Jesus is using there. Now, the word for well, the word for healed, <laughs> saved, 
well in this case, the last word there, is not the first word, healing. It's not the second word, catheter word. It's a word, sozo. It's a word for eternal healing. It's a word for salvation. It's a word that says, you know, every one of these 10 guys, they're all going to die soon. Now, they've been given a new lease on life, and their life has been extended, but not indefinitely. Every person Jesus ever healed died. No healing on earth was permanent, but this guy, this guy, this one out of ten, his healing was permanent because he's saying, I've got a healing, a wellness in you that has to do with receiving more than the others received. Are you catching that? Because he had a thankful heart, because he opened up his heart with thanksgiving, he was developing a relationship and a connection with Jesus that the others missed. And he's saying, salvation has come to your house. You are now well. You are healed in the permanent sense of the term. Like when Jesus said, Jesus came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So, so. To save. That's more the word here. Your, your faith has brought you salvation. You not only acted on the healing note, you acted on the thankful note. Oh, that we would learn to value thanksgiving, value thankfulness, like Jesus valued thankfulness. See, it brings glory to God, it brings God to us, and it positions us to receive all the gifts that God has for us, which are far greater than the little things that we want to be thankful for. It positions us in a place to receive all the goodness of God, all the full goodness of God that he has for us. It positions us for that. Well, let's talk about one more thing as we uh, talk about Jesus not only valuing thankfulness, he modeled thankfulness. And this is where we can learn some great lessons from Jesus. In fact, let's look at a couple of places where Jesus showed his thankfulness. One day in Matthew 11, Jesus is in a prayer, and he's actually, he's actually talking about the cities that didn't receive his message, the cities that rejected him. And he's kind of upset about it, but he's still praying with a thankful heart to the Father that God's got a bigger picture. In fact, I use this word, revelation. Jot that down. Thankful for revelation. He says it this way. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, things of the kingdom, from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to little babies, to those who are innocent, to those who might not have a clue otherwise. He says, I thank you for the revealing that you're doing. By the way, don't we stand in a position today with God's revelation, with his word, with how he's acted in history, with how he's acted through the Old Testament, with how he acted in Jesus Christ coming to earth, incarnate in Christmas time, how the life of Christ tells us and reveals to us all about Jesus, and how the New Testament reveals to us the heart and love for God, uh, of God for all of us. Do you take time to thank him for his revelation? As your list of being thankful, maybe at the table this 
Thursday. Did that come up? Thank you, God, for revealing us to us. Your heart, your word, your love, your grace. Here's the way one book puts it. He is there and he is not silent. God exists and he's revealing himself constantly to us. Are you thankful for that? Jesus was. Jesus was thankful for the revelation, the way God was unfolding his story. Provision. Revelation and provision. That's an easy one, isn't it? Don't you teach from your littlest days, weren't you taught to say a prayer of blessing or thankfulness over your food? Huh? Jesus did that. How many of you have paused on Thanksgiving to give a prayer of thankfulness for the provision? It's to illustrate this feast that you've provided. Lord, thank you. It just illustrates that you meet every one of our needs. Jesus took time, even before miracles, even before he fed 5,000. Aren't you glad you didn't have 5,000 people coming to your house last Thursday? Huh? That was Jesus' fun day, huh? Yeah. Jesus on Thanksgiving. Here it is right here. And uh, the menu is really simple. Two items, fish and bread. Okay? No turkey, no ham, no pork here. It's fish and bread. Yeah? Here's what it says. Uh, Philip says, it'd take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each of these, even to have a bite. We got thousands of people here, Lord. You want us to feed them? Forget it. It's going to be too expensive. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far is that going to go among so many? Right? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So what's that mean? Probably 10,000 people, right? But the men were 5,000, and each of them have a counterpart, maybe some kids involved. You got a lot of people there, don't you? He says, have them sit down. Notice this. Jesus then took the loaves. The five small barley loaves. He took the loaves. What did he do? There's that key word. Gave thanks. Now remember, I keep pointing this out. It's not about feeling thankful. It's not bad to feel thankful. But you don't pause in giving thanks until you feel thankful. But you give thanks regardless of if you feel thankful or not. You give thanks. That's what Jesus did. He took the loaves and he gave thanks. He distributed those loaves to who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Wow. When they had enough to eat, each person had their fill. He said to his disciples, now gather up the pieces that are left over. We're, we're, we're just going to emphasize the miraculous nature of this miracle. It wasn't just enough. It was more than enough. By the way, can I just encourage you about the Lord that way? He loves to give you not just enough, but more than enough. Most of us would look at our lives right now and say, I have so much more than enough. Lord, thank you. <laughs> Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. I wonder why there was 12 baskets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
There were 12 disciples, right? Just like a basket for each one of them going, I want to emphasize the blessing in your life as well. I want to emphasize the leftover for all 12 of my guys who are helping with this miracle. Five loaves left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets were left. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. It's like something pretty special is happening right now. So here's Jesus giving thanks and for its provision. See, this is where you can hook up, especially with your kids and grandkids or great-grandkids. Hook up the thankfulness for what you... We sometimes get our kids to say it, don't we? What do you say? Come on, what do you say for that gift? You know, the grandma gives them a birthday present or a Christmas present. Okay, so what do you say? And it's not bad to say, say thank you to the person. What if we were just as emphatic about giving glory to God for those things? What, what do you say? What do you say? What's the magic word? Well, that's please. Well, sometimes it's thank you too, right? There's more than one magic word, right? Yeah, so, so it's this idea of provision. Jesus was not only thankful for the revelation, he was thankful for the provision that God made for uh, his people and for all of us. Third one, connection. It's a lot like the Revelation one, but a little bit different. Jesus once more was deeply moved, and he came to the tomb. This is the tomb of Lazarus. He's going to do another miracle. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man, but this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. Pew. King James Version in one verse says, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> he stinketh. Uh, yeah, there's a bad odor after this long. Jesus wasn't detoured, wasn't uh, uh, derailed by that. He said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up. Looked up. By the way, that's not a bad idea in our prayers to look up. Why do we look up? Now, sometimes we bow our heads, and that's not bad. But you know, it's okay to do what Jesus did. You can pray with your eyes open. I think it'd be good for you to... Now, now, well, we teach our little kids to pray with their eyes closed because then they're not as distracted. <laughs> the ADD is a little uh, delayed. You know, bow your head and close your eyes. More often, what you see in the biblical model is look up and talk to God. Look up and talk to the Lord. He looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, here's a really weird thing Jesus is doing. He's not just talking to the Father. He's talking to the Father so that people can hear him. He's wanting to make a dual point here. He's not only wanting to let this prayer be a prayer of connection with the Father. He's wanting everyone to be able to celebrate it. He says, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, catch this. I know that you always hear me. You hear me when it's just my, my internal prayer life. You hear me when it's just you and I in the garden. You hear me when there's three disciples. Or you hear me when there's a big group waiting for a miracle. He says, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. <laughs> I'm saying this specifically as a public prayer. By the way, here's a biblical 
justification, biblical warrant for public prayer. Prayer where hearts are led the Lord's direction. Hearts are led to the Father in prayer. He says, I say this because the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. I'm saying this in advance. <laughs> By the way, isn't that a key thing for Jesus? He knew what was going to happen in the future. When he said this, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus performs this miracle in the midst of a prayer of thanksgiving. A prayer of thankfulness. Are you catching that? Over and over and over again, Jesus' miracles were summoned by a prayer of thankfulness. Could it be that as Jesus walked in this thankful response to the Father constantly, he's calling on us to have that same kind of attitude of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness that leads us to pray and thankful for the connection that we have with the Lord as well. This is a gift of, of prayer. I mean, that's really what he's praying about. He's praying about this gift of prayer. How many of you sometimes make a prayer list? Yeah, okay. Prayer lists are pretty common. And it's not bad to check things. You know, yeah, I prayed for that, I prayed for that. Someone's in the hospital, someone's having surgery. It's on our prayer list. Good idea. Too often, it's where we stop. Too often, it's all we do. Okay, I made it through my list. What if we did like Jesus and we spent most of our time in thankfulness, in thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, so often we cross them off our list and never even take time. Thank you, Lord! What a praise to you. What a glory to your name. Hallelujah. Thank you for, for leading us. Let's deal with this fourth and, in a way, it's fourth and fifth one here. And uh, if you've been jotting these down, Revelation and provision and connection. Now, this one's easy, salvation. Okay, it's that word sozo that I used earlier, the, the healing that is eternal and forever, this deep soul healing, not just physical healing, but heart, mind, soul, and spirit healing. In this case, Jesus uses thankfulness to thank the Father for the gift he's going to give of his own life. This is where we get the word Eucharist, Eucharist, the Eucharist. It's the word gift. It's the word thankful. Because what did Jesus do as he instituted communion? As he instituted the Lord's Supper? He gave thanks. He gave thanks for the body that was going to be broken on the cross. He gave thanks for the blood that was going to be spilled at the cross. That's the most amazing things, thing. Let's ask our helpers to uh, pass out the elements of communion. I know this isn't our normal time to partake of communion, but if you're a believer, if you love Jesus, if you want to partake of communion today, take a piece of the, the bread, just a little chunk of unleavened bread. Take a little cup, Jimmy. Take a little cup of the juice. It's fruit of the vine, uh, grape juice. And uh, as we kind of look at this passage, you'll see the two things that Jesus paused 
to give thanks for. In fact, let's do the second one first, okay? As Jesus is uh, extending his thanksgiving to God, he's also knowing that his time is short. The Thursday night before the Good Friday, before the Friday where he's crucified, he has a meal with his disciples. He brings them into a room and he remembers the Passover. He remembers this time of, the, of, of feasting. And he has these elements that are part of the meal. And he uses those elements to bring to our thoughts and minds all through eternity the memorial, the remembrance. And as he does, he gives thanks. Now, you think about it for a minute. Just think of the, the picture of Jesus in a few short hours, he's going to lay his hands out on pieces of wood they call a cross. They are going to nail his hands and nail his feet into a Roman instrument of torture. They're going to break, so to speak, his body. They're going to pierce his flesh. And as it is given as it is sacrificed as it is extended the same time he is giving thanks to the heavenly father in a way it's the same position <laughs> thank you father i give my life thank you father i sacrifice my sinless self for those who need salvation and let me just present it this way if you've never heard this before Jesus did not need to die for his own sins. He was sinless. He died for, as a substitute for our sins. So that any person who places their trust, who places their faith, who puts their um, allegiance in Jesus, he takes on their sin. That the death he died wasn't for himself. It was for all those who trust and believe in him. That's what trusting Jesus is is all about. It's not about believing in his existence. It's about trusting his gift of salvation, his gift of the cross for you and for me. So as he took a piece of that bread, he broke bread and he gave a piece to his disciples and he commented about it. In fact, look at this second part. He gave thanks and broke it. You say, why did he break it? Well, at least in part, it was illustrating that his body, shown in that bread, was going to be broken for us. And he gave it to them. You got those two things, broken and giving. Broken and giving thanks. Sacrifice and giving thanks. They go hand in hand. That's what communion is all about. It's all about thankfulness. This is my body given, circle the word given, given for you. He gave thanks and he gave his life. He gave thanks and he gave himself. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's just take the bread right now and out of a love for God, hold it up. Thank God for salvation that comes through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Let's partake.
after taking the cup, same word, he gave thanks. Thanksgiving was at the heart of the communion service that Jesus instituted. Thanksgiving was the heart of salvation. He gave thanks and said, take this, divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. I don't know all that was involved, but as a Jesus, I think, would hold the cup up and he would know that that's going to represent his body and his blood, that the blood that was shed on the cross was for anyone who would trust in him, in his sacrifice, in his gift to them. And he says, I'm not going to partake of that again until the kingdom of God comes. It has a future, a future goal. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift of Jesus' life. Thank you for allowing us to see this morning his thankful heart, his thanksgiving, his giving of thanks, even as he gave himself. We celebrate that today, Lord. We thank you for this fruit of the vine that represents the blood of Jesus. And we partake in remembrance of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus' modeling for us a man who had thanksgiving at the heart of who he was, who had your goodness and your glory and your salvation at the very um, center of all that he was and all that he did. Lord, as we come to you this morning, so in need of, of you, so desirous of you, would you make us more like Jesus? Would you bring out of us hearts and, and, and spirits that are full of thanksgiving, who are not like the nine that would go off and do their own thing, but we'd be like the one who would just come back and worship Jesus, worship you and give glory to you, Lord. We want to tell you again today, we love you, we trust you, we honor you. In Jesus' name.